Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Lurie Law Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. And uh, we are living in a fantastically weird time where (laughs) even when the Obama administration warns Putin not to invade Ukraine, we know already what Putin is probably thinking, which is, and I should listen to you because, right? This is, this is the crazy world we live in. Um, Chuck Hagel says it first, and then Obama says it next. And really, from Putin's point of view, he would say, I, I know you're not going to do anything. You can't do anything. And by the way, what would you do anything with? your ever-decreasing military that you are now going to decrease to pre-World War II levels. Uh, Good luck, okay? And I know you don't want to get bogged down in another war, let alone with Russia. So I know you're not going to do anything. You're just going to throw a bunch of heavy warnings and heavy threats out there, but nothing's going to happen. You didn't do anything with Iran. You certainly didn't do anything with Syria. Um, You're a joke when it comes to Israel and and the Arabs. So uh, I don't think you're going to do anything here either. And we're much more mighty than the Iranians are. So I know you, you, you're not going to go to war with us. So thank you very much. We're taking Crimea. And we'll uh, go forward with the rest of Ukraine whenever we darn well feel like it. That's, that's what's, what it's going to be. And it's a little bit like I was explaining to a friend today. It's like, you know, you and I, Ari, let's say we decide we're going to burglarize a house. Okay. We've, we've scoped it out. We're going to do it. And what's waiting for us on the other side of the door? A chihuahua. <laughs> and we open the door and he looks at us. He's a little bit frightened and he just does one little chirp, basically, uh, to reflect his uh, bark. And do we do anything with this dog? No. We just continue on our merry way and burglarize the hell out of that house, right? If it were a German shepherd, we might have to deal with it. We might deal with it in many different ways. One is we might, uh, you know, take a baseball bat and hit the dog or maybe even shoot the dog or maybe give it a piece of meat and distract the dog. But with a chihuahua, you don't do anything. And that's what we've become. America has become the chihuahua that nobody's listening to anymore. And this is the f- not the first among many, but this is the biggest example among many in the past five years where it's clear that nobody's taking us seriously anymore. Thank you very much. End of story. That's the way it's going to be. And it's, and it's, we, the good news is, Ari, that we only have, um, you know, regarding this administration, we only have three weeks left. Phew. Three. Oh, years. wait a minute. That's right. Three years left. Oh, you said three. That was a joke. It was okay. a joke, yes. It scared me. I, was getting, I got my hopes up. <laughs> That's right. Three weeks. Don't you right? know? It's late October, and we're just about to be done with this. No, we've got another three years of this nonsense, and it's really, really painful to hear. Um, what are we going to do with this? This is, And, and it's, gonna, it's only going to accelerate. These, these uh, renegade countries are going to discover that that. They can do whatever they want, and America won't be able to do anything other than express its concern and dismay that such and such country has done so and so. That's what's going to happen. And uh, we will no longer have the, 
the, the sphere of influence that we once had. We, we, we still think we have it. But right now, it's very clear that it's waning. In fact, it, it may already be gone. Isn't that kind of like a chess game? Uh, you would know better than I on that subject, where the game is over and the guy doesn't even know it's over. You yes. Know, a, a cycle of events has happened after losing a first piece, a bishop or a knight, where now the destiny is predetermined. The only question is whether it's going to be in two moves or ten moves. Yes, I think that's a fair analogy. And to make it a perfect analogy, um, because you can always rely on the possibility of the other side making a serious mistake. But that's not a good way to play chess. And it doesn't matter because there is no serious mistake that here because it's, it, it's not just Putin that we're dealing with, right? It's the whole world at large. So unless the whole world at large makes the same mistake every single time, we're, we're in a very bad position chess-wise, right? But to make the perfect analogy, the, the analogy perfect out of this whole thing, it's, it's not that we played it poorly. It's that we've purposely taken our own queen away from the game. And you know the queen is the most important player in any chess game. Once you lose your queen, you've lost the game. Unless somehow you can miraculously get the other side's queen at the same time. But that ain't happening here. We've, we've basically withdrawn our own queen, which is the military. I mean, how, how are we going to project our, our influence with a, a military that's the same as pre-World War II? Right? Pre, not, not post, pre-World War II. That's where we're going to be. So there's no way we could possibly have the same influence that we had before. I mean, we, we might say, okay, influence in the sense of whether we want to do deals with you economically, okay, maybe we can threaten sanctions, but that's not, that's not enough. You've got to have the, the stick as well as uh, the threat of economic loss. So th this is where we're heading. So Syria has discovered, has, has figured out that, that we are nothing. Uh, Iran has learned that lesson very well, too. Uh, both of those countries have reached, quote-unquote, agreements with America that mean zero. And literally a piece of paper that Obama thinks that he can fool us with. And uh, something will happen with Russia. No, he won't even have an agreement with Russia now that I think about it. Putin is simply going to say, I'm doing what I'm doing. And who are you to tell me that I can do anything else? That I, sh that I need to do something else? Can I tell you the worst part that I found out over the weekend? Because I had to remember that Ukraine had nuclear weapons. So I was thinking when the revolution happened and you heard the initial reports of war games with Russian troops massing on the border, oh, well, there is a deterrent there. No. You, do you know what happened with that? No. During the Bush years, Ukraine agreed to give all of its nuclear weapons that were left in the Ukrainian territory after the Soviet Union collapsed back to Russia in exchange for what? Guess. Independence. Guarantees by America of military intervention if there was right. ever any threat. I, yes, I did hear about that. I did. And, uh, and here we are. And we're, we're not just facing... Uh, a situation analogous to World War I with those agreements. But we're facing a situation analogous to both World War I and World War II with what you just said about dropping our military to pre-World War II levels. As it turns out, what caused Germany, among many other things, to act as aggressively as they did when World War II began was that uh, Roosevelt gutted America's military in the late 1930s in order to pay for what? Social programs. Right. So it, Ronald Reagan has never been proved more right that peace comes from strength. 
But so often when liberals get elected in times of peace and prosperity, they mistake the peace and prosperity for being a standard set of circumstances that were just there by, by proxy and not the result of conservative policies that had a strong military that acted as a yes. deterrent. Yes. Uh, I, I, look, I, what you're saying, and correctly so, is that history, surprise, repeats itself. Yes. And that we ought to learn from history, but then we're talking about liberals here, aren't we? Uh, they, they don't want to learn from history. Uh, you can never accuse a liberal of thinking things through. Um, you just can't. And uh, they, they won't. They won't. Uh, and, and whatever history they do profess to learn from, it's a false history. The false history, for example, that the New Deal actually achieved something and that it was not, in, in fact, destructive to America's economy. The false history that what got us out of the Depression was World War II, when that wasn't the case at all. Uh, but if you so if you rely on a false his, history in order to take action today, you're going to make exactly the same mistakes. So we'll just rediscover those lies once again, and here we are. Now, here is something that um, I found to be very interesting the uh, the other day. You and I are old enough to remember the fall of the wall, the Berlin Wall. Okay. I talked to a gentleman today, much younger than you and me, and I asked him. And he's conservative. He, he, he knows about the history. He knows about the fall of the wall. And I said, tell me something. How did the wall come down? What were the circumstances? He, first he said, well, Ronald Reagan increased the, the military. I said, yes, you're, you're right. But what I meant is, is, was there some sort of order from high above the Soviet Union saying, okay, uh, we are now uh, hereby with, withdrawing and you, you win America, we lose just like Ronald Reagan wanted, and um, here's the wall back to you. You can go ahead and climb and start destroying it as you please. Was that what happened? And he, go, and he, and he said, well, that's actually in my mind how I thought it happened, but I, now that you say it, Barack, I, I, it sounds kind of silly. And I said, you're right, it is silly. The wall didn't come down like that. The wall came down gradually as the Soviets gradually just stopped paying their guards, stopped building the infrastructure necessary to keep the wall. Uh, stop the, you know, harassing other citizens in these different countries, known, formerly known as the Eastern Bloc countries. That's what happened. It just slowly happened. And then one day they discovered, hey, nobody's really protecting this wall. Nobody's manning these walls. Nobody's enforcing the wall anymore. And one person climbed up the wall and then another one did. And they realized Hey, they're not getting hurt. The electric fences were off and the guard posts were not manned with riflemen yeah. anymore, sniping people. Didn't really happen overnight. It was just kind of understood overnight. Right, but it was a, a gradual dominoes of falling as the Eastern Bloc countries lost their Soviet control. That's right. With Romania's Ceausescu fell and Bulgaria's and the Yugoslav Republic, you know, split apart into its republics. Right. And then there was enough political impetus and lack of response from the Soviet Union, the final steps for German reunification took place. Right. And, and that's one thing you know, I think you make a great point of, which was the wall was not the collapse of, of communism. The wall was the reunification of Germany as that's a country. Right. But my point of bringing all this, because the wall is symbolic, right? Right. It's, my point of bringing up this all up is that this is how empires fall. It doesn't happen overnight. Same thing with the Roman Empire. It didn't, you know, it was just a gradual decay that slowly, eventually, marauders were able to come into Rome and, and slowly take it apart piece by piece until one day they began to realize that there is nobody kind of 
in charge here anymore. And I fear, Ari, that although we're not, we don't have a wall, on the contrary, we have a sphere of influence, a good sphere of influence that projects out there that basically says to the world, don't climb this wall, don't cross this line. Maybe better, yeah, don't well, cross we, this we line. We actually do have a, a wall. I, I understand, yeah. but, but don't cross this line. And, uh, and, and if you do, bad things will happen to you. And instead, we're basically saying exactly the same thing. It's gradually people are realizing that they can cross that line, that it's not such a big deal. And, um, and we're seeing it with Syria. We're seeing it with Iran. We're seeing it, of course, with Ukraine and uh, what the Russians are now doing in, in Ukraine. And you'll, you'll see a lot more of this kind of testing the waters. And any country worth its salt can now say, you know what? Uh, who cares what the United States says? Yeah, and sooner or later there will be a major breach that will be pointed to by the world as, aha, that's the moment. But I was going to make the point that we do have a wall, but it's a firewall, a virtual firewall. So yeah. we're from the computer world is the way right. I think of it, and it's comprised of three elements. And we've talked on the show about how those three elements have been wearing away. They are the family, belief in God, and the Constitution. And yes. all three have been atrophied. Right. All three have malignancy within them that's been eating away at the guts of them. Right. And fewer and fewer people willing to defend all three in the public sphere and not be held out as some sort of extremist or wacko bird or you name the term that you've heard in the mainstream media about such right. people who do such things as participate in normal right. family, dare to speak out. Well, the, the, the America that Obama believes in is like a movie that has no story to it. it, it it's not about anything for him. He really believes, and this is kind of simple, similar to the kind of static concept that we talked about before. He really believes that, you know, America should be knocked down a peg, not, not necessarily in a bad way, but we shouldn't be so out there and, and, and putting our boots on the ground everywhere and demanding this or that or throwing our weight around because, by golly, every country is exceptional. And if we just stand back, why do we need to be there? Um, you know, we, we don't need to be in Greece. We don't need to be in Germany. We don't need to be in France. We don't need to be in Russia. We don't need to be worrying about Ukraine. We don't need to be worrying anything about the Middle East. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, just sit back and relax. But this is the static thinking that they have, right? The, the thinking that nothing will change, that all those players, some of them malevolent, will do nothing. But they will do something as soon as they see the opportunity they step over, and they realize there's not going to be any pushback from this country called the United States. That's what's happening, and we're seeing it right before our eyes, and it's going to continue happening. And I predict that there will be at least two big breaches this year, meaning 2014, beyond Ukraine. Uh, two big breaches, things that you can, you and I will definitely be able to point to. And, and I agree with you. We are going to see breaches, and the ones I think that we're going to see are going to be major financial breaches. I mean, the, there's going to be some major shock to our financial system caused by world events, and that's going to show similar how the, the market crashes and the real estate crashes of 2008 showed how vulnerable we are. I think what's going to happen in the very near future is Israel is going to attack Iran, and it's going to be bad one way or another because, you know, war is, for those of us uh, who believe in peace through strength, the idea is that you don't have to ever use the strength to enforce That's the peace. Right. But when the peace is shown to be slipping away to the point where the strength has to be used and 
you know, absolute sobriety and, and um, you know, serious minds have to be in charge of determining when that time is. But you can tell that time is here. Yeah. And when it happens, it's going to be a market shock like you can't believe. Well, the market's already gone down very substantially today. I wonder if it's just a fluke, but um, I, I'm beginning to see a uh, big financial situation coming coming through the uh, coming around the corner. But you know, I've, I've been wrong before on these things. Um, it may very well go up tomorrow and such. But I think it's you're, you're going to see either a gradual decline or a very sudden decline. But it won't be an upbeat thing. That the markets will not improve dramatically going forward. There's going to be so much hesitation in the world right now. Yeah, but that complete loss of confidence. That's that right. Investor money flowing outside the capital markets indicates. Right. You know, far from the end of history, as we used to think. Uh, I mean, it's naive, of course, the end of history. As that liberal wrote right. about the end That's of right. communism. Uh, the end of communism resulted in the end of history. And through the 90s, there was a sense of euphoria that there, that anything is possible and that all these countries were now exploding into, into democracy. Even Russia, there was a lot of hope and people were starting to invest in Russia. Uh, and the theory being that eventually China will follow. You remember before Tiananmen Square, there was this feeling that, you know, maybe even China would, would find democracy as well. It didn't happen. Um, and instead of that um, end of history, on the contrary, we're seeing a lot of history coming our way. And it's, it's not good, not pretty history whatsoever. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of fear out there. There's When markets know that they cannot meaningfully transact internationally, it's a problem. That's when people start pulling back. Yeah, that's where you get that wonderful isolationism, both far left and uh, hardcore libertarian, yeah. you know, the tinfoil hat people, both talk as the wonderful set of circumstances. But it's really something very bad. Right. You know, we talked before about, um, and I kind of want to follow up on um, our ideas of, of things being so static. Remember that? Um, in our last podcast, we talked about the, the way that the liberals view the world and it is so static for them. And, and it's, it reflects on naivete, right? It's, it's a little bit like chess. And I have my son here today in the studio with us. Um, and he, um, he and I play chess. And when I first played chess with him, he thought, and he was very bright, he was always a very good player, but as a beginner, he thought, okay, well, I'm going to move my piece here, and then I'm going to move my piece here, and, and then I'm going to move my piece here, and then, I, and then I'm going to have a checkmate. He would show it in six moves. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, because you, of course, would either wouldn't move your pieces or respond. Right, there you go. You're, so you're a you've anticipated, you've anticipated correctly the, the, the problem in that. Oh, I didn't anticipate. My dad did the same thing to right. me in that hardcore right. <laughs> lesson that ended with a lot of crying. Right. You have, you, to, you have to understand that the other side is going to move its pieces too. Yeah. And you have to kind of flow with those, those moves too. And if you don't understand that, you're always going to lose chess. So, you know, and, and, and now he's a great player. He begins, he's beginning to understand my possible moves. He's trying to make me move in a certain way so that he can get a checkmate too. And uh, but that's the way it is. That's the way it is in in the in in, uh, in all geopolitical arenas. But they seem to think that um, that uh, countries will always stay the same. That that as long as you know America is no longer the superpower, well then nobody else will be. As if nobody will come to fill that void. So interesting how people can think that. But that's the static mindset of the liberals for you. Likewise, we talked before about uh, we talked about evolution. I think. Remember, 
we, we said that, that, which was really very interesting, that nothing has changed in the world of evolution, of understanding the science of evolution since the days of Darwin. It's survival of the fittest, baby, and that's it. <laughs> um, and, and these new facts have come to light, and they, they can't jive with it. They yeah, all these unfittest are still walking around. Right. If, if that was true, why is there liberalism? Right. Wouldn't they have just stop breeding and That's right. starve to death by now? That's right. But let's go to some of the things we didn't talk about. And one of them um, is, and they were getting bigger and bigger, um, global warming, right? I mean, here's the ultimate, in some sense, of their belief that the world is static, right? You and I know that the Earth is always changing its climate. Uh, we, we know that, uh, for example, during the, during the Roman days, the the earth was far warmer than it is now today we we are still getting out of the little ice age right now and as a consequence that the temperature is going up but they only see that and say okay well looking at that they, they don't see the big graph they only see the little graph you know that portion of the graph where it says it says it's going up and they conclude erroneously that it's that it's man-made and if it is man-made, it's to be 1%. I mean, it's, it's not significant. And um, never, of course, factoring in the Roman times or the, the fact that we had, a, um, you know, ice ages before and heat waves before and that there was more carbon during the times of the dinosaur that, than there are now, um, than there is now. Uh, but the Earth is always static, you understand. There's always one perfect temperature. Yeah, or, or my favorite, which is that only modern man has done any environmental damage. Ignoring right. the fact that the Spaniards cut down essentially every big tree in the country to build the Spanish Armada. Yeah, the, that's right. The Romans around the area and the Venetians east of uh, Venice in what is now Yugoslavia, Croatia, cut down almost every tree in that area, deforested entire swaths of the earth. Right. This was ancient, eco-friendly man. <laughs> right. And we somehow survived that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the point is that things change. And yeah. uh, they... they the, the, to believe in global warming, you have to you have to think that there is some ideal temperature out there from which we cannot deviate because you know everything is so fragile. You yeah, every other thing has to be sixty eight to seventy two degrees everywhere on Earth with zero humidity, so no one needs any chlorofluorocarbon emitting air conditioning. That's right. That's the that's the gist of it. And every time there's a hurricane, it it's a symptom of glo global warming. No, no, that was Bush's fault. Oh, that's you right. Know, yeah, Bush caused that hurricane. As, as Katrina was yeah. too. So. That's global warming for you. That's a classic example of, of how they think statically. Yeah, and that the Earth won't respond dynamically to any inputs of changes its inhabitants right. might cause. There are two other, two other areas that I want to kind of capture, which is this idea of um, minimum wage, since it's kind of au courant these days, which means current, a current issue. And that is uh, the minimum wage somehow reflects what should be the ideal wage for somebody. This minimum wage concept, putting aside that it, it just, it's devastating to entry-level jobs, just devastating. It's, I, I saw a um, cartoon from, who's that guy? Um, oh, shoot. Michael Ramirez? R Michael Ramirez, exactly right. And he did a fantastic cartoon where he, sh he shows a ladder, right? And the first five rungs of the ladder from the bottom are missing, right? <laughs> and the, the, the sixth rung is, is there, ready? <clears throat> and uh, and and basically, it says minimum wage right there. <laughs> and uh, and and Obama's patting the, this guy who's looking to try to a young man who's trying to get on top, saying, 
congratulations. You see, see, we've given you a, a minimum wage. <laughs> and, and it's brilliant because it's, it's just impossible for him to get up to that minimum wage at this point. Nobody's going to give him the, the job. And no one's going to give him a job where he can earn the experience to be worth $14 or $30 or $500 an hour. Whatever that, whatever that arbitrary minute. It, you know, my wife is, is smarter than me. As yours is probably smarter than you because right. that's what they are. Right. And she said something so brilliant today. We were talking about the minimum wage and these kind of economic policies. She said, where in life is it ever the right thing or the good thing to do to hurt one group of people so that you can help others? Right. Where? Wh right. Where in life? Yet politicians, liberal, Democrat politicians in this country, in order to get elected, always espouse those very same ideas to get the votes of the poor and the middle class. Yes, yes, you're right. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, to your point, the first thing that I think about when, which uh, your wife's wonderful point uh, makes, is the uh, area of the pro-choice crowd who believe that it's appropriate to even kill one group of people, as it were, in order for the convenience of another group of people, right? The mothers. So very odd, and, but it's, it's a very astute point that she made. Look, uh, minimum wage presumes that nobody ever wants to do any job other than the job that they're now assigned to, okay? That there's no chance of them actually increasing in promotion so that they actually get not only the minimum wage, but far beyond the minimum wage. Yeah. A student will always be a student and can be a student forever if they have the minimum wage. Right. Exactly right. Uh, right. You're right. right. It, it spins it, at the idiocy. It, it, it does spin. Um, George Will brought up this excellent point on uh, Fox News. I think it was a special report where he said, um, you know, it's an interesting. Liberals will correctly note that if they increase the price of cigarettes, then people will the demand for cigarettes will decrease, right? They'll find ways to say, okay, I better stop, you know, yeah. I better kick this habit already. They also say this, do the same thing with gasoline, for example. They increase taxes on it so the prices go higher. Guess what? You'll have fewer people using gasoline or at least minimizing their, their transportation. But when it comes to the price of labor, oh, there won't be any effect at all. No, sir. They won't change any behavior whatsoever. No, well, what they argue is that more people will be Oh, I see. They, they argue even the opposite. Yeah, they don't just argue that it won't affect the labor market. They say, aha, this will solve that unemployment problem. Right. Yeah, they've always been wrong in the price directions, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, Obamacare is such a good example. Your, your, your premiums will decrease by 2500 It actually increased, coincidentally, by 2500 I mean, everything is <clears throat> like the absolute value we talked about before. They just yeah. happen to be on the wrong side of the uh, of the zero. Yeah, Crowdhammer so. made such a great point about that. He said, it "Is you know, Crowdhammer is a doctor, right?" So he said, "I fail to understand how you're going to make healthcare and healthcare services cost less by having fewer doctors and more IRS agents." Right. <laughs> uh, I just don't understand that. That's very funny. <laughs> it's very funny. So, so you have this minimum wage, and it's you know, pointing out the hypocrisies of the left is. I guess it's fairly easy. You can do it all day long. But they've never been right when it comes to guessing prices or the effect of anything. <clears throat> I mean, well, I, I, you know what? Let me take that back a little bit. When they, when they tax cigarettes and gasoline and things that they don't want, the, you know, the sinful items that they believe is sinful, uh, then, then indeed uh, it does increase the prices just like they want. But it doesn't increase the prices on things in their mind of the things that they do want, like the minimum wage. Uh, or or healthcare for that matter, then it's not going to affect. Don't worry, it won't have any impact whatsoever.
But again, it's static thinking that we've been talking about. But I talked before about one of the ultimate examples of static thinking, and that is the universe itself, right? I love talking about this. We talked about evolution, which is a huge issue. That <clears throat> They haven't changed their, their mindset on evolution despite all the facts that are overwhelming them, the fossil record that didn't exist at the time of Darwin. He was just wrong. It's okay. You know, I don't even blame Darwin. Darwin was just theorizing. Darwin he, did good science. In his own theory, he wrote, if any one of these three things turns yes. out, then my theory's wrong. He himself disproved himself. Right. And he had no emotional bone in the game. He was just a scientist who did good, good scientific right. work. Well, it, it's, he it's, never wrote on his theory, aha, settled science, yeah. the end. He didn't say QED, right? <laughs> right. Uh, he, he, yeah, you're absolutely right. But they liked, you know, it, it was just taken over by the liberals. And uh, the mantra has just resonated throughout time. Static, static, static. Uh, but here is the universe itself is static for the, for the liberal. How so? What do you mean, Barack? Okay. I mean that <clears throat> in the 50s and 60s, it was basically solidified that the universe probably had, in fact, did have a big bang. It was solidified. And... Uh, there were scientists who fought this really hard. They believed that the universe itself was static and had always been that way and never was any different, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Like, well, if, if that were the case, by the way, I, I guess I am kind of going off on a side note here. If that were the case, then why would there have been any changes within any particular sphere? For example, the, people seem to acknowledge that the Earth had a prior history. Right, that it was once molten lava, and it was you know, re, you know, terrible thing. In the movie Airplane, they the, said first the Earth cooled, then the dinosaurs came. Right. Meaning in that movie, right. they went over that history. Right. The, so so there was change in that sense. Yes. But but the universe itself is is always there, and and all the you know I, I don't get it. I mean, if there's if there's action and supernovaing and all that stuff, and then then why wouldn't you? Why, why is everything else static except for those things? Why are we having asteroids all over the place? I mean, asteroids are, are the reflection of, of an incredible explosion in and of themselves. But it's, it's silly thinking, right? So clearly there was a big, a big bang. We now know that there's a big bang. But they're still kicking and screaming. I know so many liberals today that are trying desperately to say, to find a way to, to still view the universe as static. Because that's the way they think. Statically, they just can't wrap their mind around the possibility of a consequence. So, uh, so when they have an idea, a policy, they think that people will act statically. We talked about taxes. The higher the taxes, for example, and regulations, nothing will change. Um, and um, if if uh, you you increase people's uh, taxes, they won't change at all. They'll do exactly the same thing. And they'll just accept pay you more for the government. But that's static thinking, they, they, like the chess game we talked about before. I mean, it's getting a little kind of obvious as I'm talking about it, How? but I think we may have hit a theme here, that if you want to boil down the essence of the naivete of the liberal mindset, it's static thinking. Dennis Prager calls it not having, not appreciating consequences, and I think he's right. But if you want to characterize the way liberals actually think, 
It's static thinking. That's where I think we want to leave it today. And um, I, I, would, I would really be fascinated what you have to think, dear listener, at uh, info at lurie-law.com. There's so many other areas where we can talk about static thinking. Uh, and this all started off with the Ukraine, didn't it? Um, Ukraine shows us the dangers of static thinking, that nothing will happen if we change our orbit of influence, our power, our lines in the sand. Well, we're discovering our otherwise right now. Folks, this is Barack Lurie at the Lurie Law Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.